Behold, behold, behold the pale podcast. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street. There's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do, and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe, and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest, I don't want you to ride, I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. My life has value. My life has value. Behold the Pale Podcast. All right, folks, welcome back. To another episode of Behold a Pale Podcast. How y'all been? It's been whoo! It's been like a month's time since we've since we've spoke. Since you've heard our, our our beautiful kind voices of of truth of truth and justice. How are you yeah. gentlemen doing over there? I'm talking to you guys. <laughs> I'm 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 doing I'm doing good. Yeah, same old uh, same old. Uh, you know, just take it one day at a time. That's the best way you can do it. Yeah. Ray, how are you doing? Uh, not bad. Being at Chauville, avoid those uh, black choppers so far. I'm keeping my eyes out, so I'm okay. Ah, very nice. Very good. Very good. And before the show, me, Alexander Hawk was telling us about how work was starting to catch up a little bit, get a little busy again. Yeah. Big COVID coming coming back to town for Christmas season. Yeah, everyone's on high alert. Uh, I mean, we got Thanksgiving coming up, and of course, uh, surely we got Christmas. So everyone's, you know, and since everything is still, you know, in the air, no one really knows exactly when things are going to get back to normal or if it'll ever be a hundred percent normal. So. With that, I mean, heck, uh, I mean, it's it's a tense time of year anyway, and then you have COVID throwing it in, so it's even more tense. Yeah, you know, I believe you. That's for sure. So that's for sure. So we'll see how that goes. You know what I mean? Well, uh, you know, today this this episode, um, we're, we're starting a new thing, that, a new segment that we're going to be uh, circling around and bringing back and. Sharing with uh, with our many episodes in the future, knock on wood, you know what I mean? Uh, that segment is a little thing we're going to call the Hall of Secrecy. How do you like that? Is that epic? Is that okay? That's right. epic. That sounds good to me. All right. As long as I have the support of the brothers, we can move forward. Um, 
we have a that was a uh, an owl that had a stroke right there. That's what that was. Um, it's an owl I shot. Everybody, wait to have a GoFundMe page for that owl at the end of this. So stay stay tuned to the end of the episode. For that. Um, this new segment that we're doing, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of do like in depth kind of discussions of folks that have uh, you know been a big big movements, uh, big deal. In the whole truther, if you will, conspiracy. Uh, I know it's kind of a tainted word, world, uh, but more truther type world. Um, you know, folks that were, uh, you know, some would say lost their lives to talking about the things that we can openly talk about today. So we want to kind of just kind of give a little, uh, little respect to these folks. And first one up. Uh, is kind of a no-brainer, especially with the name of the show, of course, Behold the Pill Podcast. Anybody who's uh, fir- first day truth or conspiracy stuff, uh, you probably learn about the, the, the famed book Behold the Pill Horse, you know what I mean, from William Cooper, famed, you know. Um, Cooper was the bomb diggity back in his day, you know what I mean, unfortunately passed, born... Uh, May 6, 1943, in Long Beach, California. Died November 6, 2001. Shortly after 9-11. We'll get a little a little deeper into that uh, later in the episode. Died in Eager, Arizona. You know what I mean? The deserts out there. Cause of death. What do you guys think? What do you, what do you think killed this guy off? Hmm. Uh, well, I don't know. From what I read... Um, it was the establishment. Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely leans in that, that direction. And I feel like uh, he definitely, uh, topics that we'll get into this evening uh, will definitely shed light on why certain folks may be involved in situations like that, might not want him talking about said situations. You know what I mean? Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of deals with it in. You know, another part of the segment is we're going to talk about the individual. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in many cases, we're going to talk about the big things that they kind of, um, you know, uncovered or really, really shed light on. Uh, Maybe we'll probably roughly do three. They, we got three set up for this one, you know, but there's plenty of discussion points and such. But, um, you know, we'll go in, you know. He was a conspiracy theorist, radio broadcaster, you know what I mean, an author. Um, 1991 is when he did Behold the Pale Horse. Um, You know, he was most notably known for his theories on the HIV and AIDS situation, uh, UFO aliens, Illuminati stuff, Kennedy assassination, um, and 9-11 predictions. You know, he was born into the, he was born to United States Air Force Lieutenant Milton Vance Cooper. Um, and his wife, Dovey Nell Cooper. Uh, he claimed to have served in the United States Navy, Air Force, and Naval Intelligence until his discharge in 1975. Public records only indicate uh, a period of service in the Navy with a uh, rating code of um, E5, a sergeant or petty officer, second class in the Navy. Uh, his active duty also includes a tour in Vietnam with two service medals, uh, he then attended junior college in California and worked for several technical and vocational schools before making his conspiracy theories known. Uh, beginning in 1988, Cooper expanded uh, 
the speculations of earlier conspiracies by incorporating government involvement with extraterrestrials as a central theme. From 1992 until his death in November 2001, he broadcasted his radio show, The Hour of the Time, uh, via satellite hookups and shortwave frequencies from a studio in his house uh, at 96 North Clearview Circle, atop of a hill in the small white mountains of Eager, Arizona, 15 miles from the New Mexico border. You know, the, 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 you know, with, with the, what we just said right there, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there that kind of would go with knowing some of these things. You know, right off the bat, I feel like the military family influence from the get-go uh, adds that element in there. Because, you know, in a certain, a certain, a certain branch, you know, you, you would definitely know more things. And um, I feel like when you're at home... You know, like we said with other things, a job's a job, whether you're whether you're selling McDonald's hamburgers or you are performing heart surgery, you know what I mean? Like after a while it just becomes habit and something you have to do to get paid, I feel, no matter how extreme or you know, or or, or, or small it may seem. I feel like the mind state kind of eventually cut goes to the same place. Um so I feel like things that might be super secret procedure and such and discussion in, you know, in the work field when at home with the kid, you know, kid you might be trying to impress because, you know, everybody kind of wants their kids to like them. Um, I feel like that's something that the truth, the beans may spill a little bit on the, on the old uh, dinner table, but those beans you don't have to wipe up with a nice face cloth or paper towel. They're beans of knowledge. You know what I mean? What's your, uh, what's your guys' opinion of, you know, these people that come out that have family and such in the military? Um, well, I mean, the thing about I, I, uh, my, uh, both of my grandparents were in uh, World War II. Yeah. And uh, now... The thing that I, I found uh, about them is that uh, both of them saw, you know, major combat, but they would really not talk much about it. Yeah. Now, it was funny because my grandfather, my dad's father, okay, also had a brother, uh, Harvey, okay? I mean, Harry, Harry. Anyway... The thing is that Harry really didn't see much much combat, really. But he would always be, you know, talking and letting, as you said, the beans drop. It always depends on... on spill the, the ta- beans. Hmm? Spill the beans. The spill bean, the beans. Beans yeah. dropping is about when you go through puberty, I believe. <laughs> well, anyway, I mean... The thing is that the little bit of information my dad would get about his father's service uh, during World War II, he'd only get through Harry because his father would never talk about anything that happened during the war. He was extremely tight-lipped. But Harry, you know, I mean, you gave him a couple beers and he'd he'd tell you anything and everything that, you know, he's experienced or wanted to make you believe that he experienced. So I think it depends on 
on the person because you're going to have two types. You're going to have those who are in the military who've seen a lot of stuff and because of the horrendous stuff they either had to do or they witnessed, you know, keep it to themselves and don't let anything out. And then you'll have those like my uh, great uncle Harry who, you know, he was around but not really in the thick of it. So his his lips were always uh, more open to expound on on the different things that were going on um, and all that. So I think it depends on what kind because you got two kinds of of people that I've experienced that have been you know in the military, and that is those who have been extremely hardened and that don't want to talk about what happened. Then you get those who all they want to do is talk about it. And of course, you know, usually those who always want to talk about, they haven't seen any major action. They might be, you know, you know, like working behind the lines with like the, uh, with um, the other servicemen. But of course, I mean, they'd be privy to some information and those, you know, those are the people uh, people in the military I find that are more open to expound upon, you know, things that us common people might not know and actually let us know what's going on. Yeah, I heard a rumor once that military men like cocktails, too. So every now and then when people, you know, have some drinks and loosen up and they're, you know, loose lips sink ships, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, you so, give, give my great uncle Harry a, a few a few beers. He he'll, he'll he'll sing till the cows come home. <laughs> there's worse things to do after a few beers than singing till the cows come home. That's true. You know what I mean? You know what I mean, Ray? Oh yeah, I mean I I got a lot of friends who went in the military. Most of them do not talk about it. Yeah, and some of that has to do with the trauma. And some of that has to do with um, an oath they took or they also quite often, they don't believe that someone who has not been in the military will understand. So they, they never talk about it. Um, my father who was in world war two and he was all over Europe, including Northern Africa. And for a yeah. while he worked for OSS, which was the fore, forerunner of the CIA and uh, he never said anything. He refused to talk about anything he saw or anything he ever did. Yeah. So I, it's, uh, that that's that's the background as far as the, at least the people I've met that uh, were in the military. They won't say they won't say a word about it. It's a part of their life that uh, doesn't exist anymore for the most part, unless they're with friends they served with. Yeah. And then after a few drinks. They might talk about a few outrageous things, but for the most part, they never talk about it. I understand that with the trauma aspect of it, for sure. Absolutely. And completely 110% that, you know, the dude at the bar who, you know, just kind of goes to his nine to five and stops off at, at the bar for a couple of drinks before going back to the wife and kids has no idea, you know, the realities of, you know, seeing your best friend's head come off or, you know, you know, holding your best friend's hand, dude, while he's like bleeding out, you know what I mean? So I definitely fully, 
understand the aspect of the trauma side of not people, you know, people not uh, being able to relate. But I think if in the sense of like this to a degree with this paranormal, um, you more, more so UFO type situation. Um, that's what I feel like that'd be more of an open. That's almost more of a, you know, it's, you know, people are going to want to hear about it. You know what I mean? Like well, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, you're not talking about the same type of, type of uh, trauma as combat, but you're talking about knowing something that, um, let's say, the world would love to know. Right. And people talk about all the time, and they go a whole lifetime and keep your mouth shut when you know something like that. It would be one of the most difficult things uh, for anyone to do. I mean, here it is. You you have this knowledge that uh, everybody else would just die for, mm. and you can't say anything. And there are certain people that are going to just at some point say, "Oh, screw it," and they're going to tell somebody. Yeah, I mean, knowledge is power. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know the fact that you know Mr. Cooper was naval intelligence, and you know, from time to time you all you hear you hear from other naval intelligence and higher up folks, you know, coming out with, you know, oh, we've seen this happen, you know what I mean, or that happened. Um, you know, it definitely adds more credibility to the claims, wouldn't you say? I think I think so. There's also the other thing is that, you know, if you're trying to hide something, let's say enough people start leaking it, you're going to have to come out with your own cover story. So you drop a little bit here or there uh, just to keep people happy. Yeah. Like last during the last course of the last year, I think they released. Yeah, they did. They released some videos of UFOs, and I think that was just kind of like, okay, let's give them a breadcrumb, and maybe they'll shut up for a while. <laughs> yeah, you know, he was one of those the first guys. I think that they're really in a big way was incorporating the government into the scheme of things, which right there is super dangerous stuff. You know what I mean? I feel like that probably that's probably one of those things that went back from the beginning though, from the beginning of corruption and the government the government uh doing corrupt things. You know, there'll always be people kind of blowing whistles on it. We did a whistleblower episode, the kind of the first season where we listed off a bunch of things where William Cooper was involved. Um but there's a whole bunch of people, you know, that that unfortunately, you know, I guess you can only speculate, but were killed for things that they said. Um you know, people get killed for things they say every day, whether they're true or not, doesn't matter. They're still dying type deal. So, I mean, that's good. Uh, that's always a good, good thing to think about. Um, you know, and he was doing that the, the broadcast radio show, you know what I mean, from the satellite. And from, like shortwave radio is pretty, that's pretty OG gangster in the, in the radio world. That's like pirate radio, you know what I mean? That's original podcast type stuff, you know that's why it's kind of, I felt it was important to kind of attack him first with this, you know, because I feel like dudes like him really kind of are like that first wave of almost like truth or podcasting that came in, you know what I mean? Telling the public and dangerous. It's kind of dangerous to be able to, um, I think we talked about this in the first episode back of this season where we're, it's almost kind of dangerous. The fact that you, anybody could just go on here and voice an opinion and reach millions of people. You know what I mean, and if somebody had if somebody had enough charisma and devilish tongue, you know yeah. they could really do some damage. You know what I mean? 
Well, they could I mean, be some positivity, you know, it depends yeah, on the I'm, subject. I mean, you're totally right with that. I mean, one of the things that I actually appreciate because, I mean, to be perfectly honest, yeah. I mean, I didn't, I mean, if I had heard the name, I, I didn't remember. I didn't know much about William Cooper until, you know, uh, Matt uh, told me about this episode and um, uh, had me uh, go and do some research on him. And the thing is, the one thing that I definitely do appreciate uh, about about him is uh, one of the things he would say is, um, listen to everyone, read everything, but believe nothing until yourself can prove it yeah. with your own research. Whether it's uh, true or false, <laughs> or between the many shades of gray. If you don't do this, if you cannot do this, or you're just too play, uh, plain lazy to do this, I can assure you that you will march into the new world order as a docile slave. And the thing is, what I appreciate about what he said there is the fact that he's he's not saying, listen to me, take everything I say at face value, and then, you know, go, go on and, 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 and follow what I'm saying. He says, you know, listen to what I'm saying. If you don't believe what I'm saying or you think I'm totally wrong, that's fine. Go do your research. Go and, and find out uh, what's really going on. And that, as far as I'm concerned, because when I was reading it, they, they like to um, kind of say that he's like the precursor to Alex Jones and those kind of people. And personally, I would say that, first of all, he's 100% a different type of person from what I've read. And that is Alex Jones is all about, you know, these outlandish conspiracy theories. And he's like, you know, yeah, this is going on. And, and he's not telling people to go and do the research to, you know, check and fact check him. He's saying, listen to me. And I'm, I know what I'm talking about. And it's like, the fact is, and that's the whole point of conspiracy is that for a conspiracy to be a conspiracy that you, you don't have all the facts. I mean, before you believe in anything um, that's so inspiring about this conspiracy or that you go and, and when I say research, I'm not talking about going to YouTube and watch, you know, a few, you know, different uh, episodes that people have thrown together. I mean, like, go to the libraries. Go and get, like, actual books. I know it might be, you know, tedious, but go, because, I mean, now, especially with the internet, which is great that it gives you the opportunity to go and, and, and go to all these places and get a lot of information, but you don't have a guarantee of getting the correct information. And a lot of time you get a lot of misinformation, whether it's coming from those who are part of the conspiracies or those who just, you know, spouting off conspiracy uh, uh, theories just to, you know, make themselves feel important. I mean, the fact is that you got to do the research and I mean, otherwise don't believe uh, uh, what people say unless you're willing to actually put the work in. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure, uh, if I remember correctly, I believe Cooper was not a fan of uh, Alex Jones. I want to say that he, he they, they had like he had like issue with him. 
Well, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I I have to admit, I I've seen a handful of his stuff, mainly uh, uh, just you know stumbling upon him on YouTube. And every time I listen to him, I'm like, the guy is a complete buffoon and complete, you know, arrogant ass. That I mean, he's just spouting all this stuff. And and what I o- always love is whenever he's like promoting something or saying something, then like literally, what watch any of his things? It's like he promotes something on his a website or he's saying something, and then. You know, like five minutes later, he recanted like, well, it's not exactly like this. It, it has some of these aspects. But, you know, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that, you know, um, uh, it's not totally organic. It has organic uh, aspects to it. But, you know, you know I'm, I'm just saying it. I'm just saying it. You know, it, it's, it's like, it's all an act. It's all an act. I mean, well, I think, I mean, I- I think that's why Cooper didn't like him because he was he he was making it was like the beginning of like the media taking over, you know what I mean, where they were just full frontal. Where I think he he thought that Alex Jones was like almost like like the bad people's, you know, puppet, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean I mean the thing is that I mean you have people like Alex Jones now whether he is a puppet for the organization that he, he's claiming that he's trying to, you know, peel away the curtain and tell you what's really going on. And the thing is, you have to always be careful when you have those who are doing this big show and saying, like, oh, we know what's really going on. The question is, who are they really working for? Are they just not- are they working just for themselves to, you know, boost their egos and get money? Are they actually working for the people that they're claiming that they are trying to, so they're giving you all this false information and, and steering you away from the actual information that you need to find out? Yeah. Or are they just, you know, putting up all this smoke and mirrors to keep you all dazed and confused, not knowing where to go or what's going on? I mean, that's, that's when, when people talk about conspiracy theories, uh, uh, theorists now, especially like Alex Jones and all that, that's that's the type of people that are, you know, I find that are really taking up the mantle. I mean, with William Cooper, he's he's trying to get people to think and look at what's really going on, and he also has has the point of saying, "Don't believe what I'm saying. Look into it." And that, that is, I mean, that is what I believe that one should do. Not take anything at face value and until you have researched and, and, you know, checked all sources. Until after that, you know, you shouldn't believe anything anyone says. Yeah, I'm with you on that for sure. Now, the, the Hawkman didn't really hear about William Cooper until this, he was proposed this episode um, I know I learned about William Cooper maybe like 15 years or so ago, probably through underground rap. There was, uh, you know, Ill Bill and a group called Nonfiction that uh, were like a futuristic, you know, really kind of, um, you know, conspiracy. They, you know, it was, you know, the future is now a great album. Anybody out there want to check out what I'm t- trying to talk about here? Just go listen to that album and you'll get a vibe for it. But that's the first 
time I ever heard about William Cooper. Ray, when did you? When was the first time you ever heard about William Cooper? Actually, briefly a long while ago, and it was just recently I made myself familiar again with him. Um, a couple of things. One comes to mind, uh, like when Alex was talking, is that if you want to make turn someone away from a from a conspiracy, a factual conspiracy, let's say something that may have some facts, make it look ridiculous. Yeah. And then people just won't trust it at all, and they won't even search for the facts behind it. I think what what Cooper was saying, and I was very fortunate growing up, um, I got sent to a school, and I remember this was the late 60s. Kennedy had been shot in the early 60s. I yeah. believe it was. And um, I had a teacher that uh, a Cooper would have loved him. Yeah. He he said, okay, what you're going to do is you're going to read the Warren report. Come back next week. You know, I want it read by next week. The following week, we're over there. He's taking a few questions, but every time someone would make a statement, he'd ask him another question. And then at one point, he said, okay, how many believe it? You know, a bunch of hands went up. How many don't? A bunch of hands went up. He split the class in half, not by whether you believed or not, just right down the middle into two groups. Each group had some believers and disbelievers in it. Said, you got one week. Next week, you're debating it. Now, we had to go to the library. We had to read. We had to do everything Hawk was saying to do. But the thing is, if you did not believe in it and you were in the group that had to prove it, you had to dig deep to try and make an argument because he would not accept your personal view. Yeah. And it went the other way, too. So you had these two groups of mixed people, believers and non-believers, each had to take a stand. And what he was teaching people at that point is you research and you look into your uh, the opposing view, your view, you look at everything, and then you have to be able to defend it. And a lot of people, when he took that same survey at, uh, after the debate, a lot of people had switched sides. But he, his big thing was question, 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 everything. That's like the, the beginning and end of everything is question everything. And it's crazy how people don't, can't, won't do that. They just go with the flow of things. You know what I mean? Even when they know it's weird where they know they shouldn't, but they still do. It's like a very weird dynamic that they do. Oh, it's It's the easy way. Yeah, it's comfortable. It's true. Like you said, you got that right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, like uh, what um, in the thing I just read that he has said is like you know one of the things is if you're too lazy to even look into it, then you know you'll just be one of the sheep that follows, and and unfortunately that's what I think a lot of a lot of um, those who have their own little conspiracy theory uh, theories shows, especially nowadays, Alex Jones. I mean, he's the only one I really know of. I'm sure there's others, but he's a prime example where if you listen to him, it's always the same side. And, and it, it's not like he's putting down any facts. It's all about emotion and trying to elicit a response. Uh, an emotional um, response, not a mental response, and and that's the I mean that's the biggest and the the way I see it honestly is I I'm sure he he like show William Cooper's show, and he's like man I want to have people 
follow me like they follow William Cooper, but I don't want to work. I don't want to do anything. So I'll just, you know, yell and scream into a mic and try and thump my chest telling him, I know what's really going on when all he's doing is just, you know, yelling and screaming in the mic like a madman. I and mean, all he needs is a tinfoil hat and then, you know, he'd be perfect. Well, I think Alex Jones is a more Hollywood, you know, William Cooper type deal where like he, he talks about kind of the same stuff, but he's more, it's the same thing with like reality TV, like reality TV isn't real. There's always that fake element because it's on TV. And it's the same thing with like an Alex Jones deal where, yeah, he's this conspiracy theorist truth or guy that's going to say these things, but he has to be boombastic and, you know, kind of all over the place. So you tune in and, and be entertained. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, the thing is that then you have the issue of are you listening to be entertained or are you listening to actually learn anything? And unfortunately, I think people have a problem where they don't understand the difference that they think that, oh, I'm being entertained, but I'm also learning something. No, you're not. You're being entertained. You're learning absolutely nothing because what he's putting out isn't backed with any facts. There's no actual, you know, uh, backing in what he's saying. So it's, so people think, well, you know, I'm listening to him. I'm entertained by his rhetoric, but I'm also learning about the insight of what's really going on. And it's like, no, it's, it's, it's like wrestling, the same thing, but people are trying to, you know, rationalize that, you know, the stuff that he's saying is also they're learning something, which they're not. They're just hearing noise and they believe they're learning something. Yeah, because more, he's more. saying he's saying that he's teaching you something, but all he's doing is putting on a show. It's the same as you know, watching, you know, wrestling, which is so entertaining, but you're not learning like any life lessons, really. I mean yeah, that, yeah. I think more people are turning, tuning in to be entertained and to learn things, but I do think that people do agree with him from time to time. It's funny. He's almost kind of like a Charlie Manson you know, in, in a weird way. Uh, rest in peace, Charlie Manson. So we'll get to the Behold the Pill po- uh, podcast uh, where we got our name from. All right, boys, you ready for this? Uh-oh. As you know, Behold the Pill Horse, the book, you know. Cooper produced and published the book in 1991. It has been uh, a prominent and influential among the UFO and militia circles. Um, <clears throat> just um, just uh, the, the trial of Terry Nichols in 1997, it was used. It was the, described as the manifesto of the militia movement. Terry Nichols, who's an American terrorist convicted of being an accomplice in the Oklahoma City bombing, co-conspiring with... Alexander Hawk's boy Timothy McVeigh. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a it's a deal. He kind of became. I know that he had beef with the fact that he kind of became. He kind of became like uh, the poster child for something he didn't want to kind of be the poster child for. Yeah. That were people that were kind of on that out of the out out of society brink, you know, deal like McVeigh and them and Kaczynski and such. Um, but like, I think he considered those people crazy. 
Like, yeah, they might try and say the same shit, but those people are lunatics, you know what I mean? And I'm trying to be, you know, the deal here. Um, but yeah, yeah, he he produced and published the book, which was interesting. Where yeah, he 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 put like he 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 didn't have a company release it. He did it bombastic film style, <laughs> where he just printed up all his shit and pushed it on the earth, walked the earth like Kane and tried to get everybody to get into his stuff. So I, I, you gotta you gotta respect that. He's a man with incredible hustle, um, which you gotta respect the hustle. Um, and he's trying to push a message, you know what I mean? He believes something and he's going for it, you know, starting up that underground radio show. That ain't no small feat. Um, this is, this is in the early nineties. This isn't in 2020 where everybody's got zoom, you know what I mean? Um, you know, the, the book, you know, the book becoming what it is gigantic. Anybody who doesn't have the book that is interested in it, you know, I'd grab it. I'd grab it sooner than later. Uh, it does get rarer. Um, but there's, uh, you know, it's kind of a bunch of different, you know, his different topics broken down. He has, you know, like secret pages you're not supposed to see and such supposedly from his days behind the curtain. Um, but I definitely, uh, I always, I recommend it's good to have on your bookshelf. It's just one of those books. that's good to have on your bookshelf, but, um, what you guys take on a book uh, on this Behold the Pill Horse book? You know what I mean? The, 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 you know, what it, what sparked from it, you know, the movement, not just the Behold the Pill podcast name, but the movement that, you know, that this deal and the fact that he was being kind of called a militia member where he was just kind of spilling the beans. You think it's more of that, Ray, like you said earlier, which I agree with. I think it's more of that just trying to throw dirt on something. So you kind of look at it or call it how they call it crazy. It's crazy. So like nobody pays attention to it. Um, I think they lump them in with those other folks so they can kind of say, cause the same thing with now, like if you would have lumped somebody in a category of terrorist, you know, that's bad news. Nobody wants that, you know, terrorists right up there with child molester. You know what I mean? Uh, and the closer you get to 2001, the, the more, terrible you know terrorist that terrorist tag is but uh it still kind of means a little something nowadays um but what do you think of that the whole deal with you know being tagged almost a terrorist for trying to spill the truth i'd say that that uh, it's a perfect ploy if you don't want the truth out there what you do is you brand uh whoever's saying it you make them the enemy or you make them a villain you make them, uh, you, you have them associated with something that other people fear. The militias are uh, a fringe group, and people are afraid of fringe groups. And they automatically say, oh, militia, those nuts with rifles out there that are you know, going to shoot everybody. And they get all these, these ideas. And so, yeah, you want to get people to turn away from and not listen to this person? Oh, well, look at this. He's part of a militia. It's exactly what they believe. Yeah. And now all of a sudden people are going, oh, wait a minute. I'm not going to listen to him anymore. He, he's a nut and he's dangerous. Right. Because they're more comfortable listening to the people that he's exposing because those are the people in power. than they are actually reading the book to see what he's actually saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you have any opinion on that? The, 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 the militia deal and such? 
Well, my opinion is, I think Ray is um, is is uh, very uh, much correct yeah. in in the way he sees it. I also believe another thing is it could definitely be that with um, the government, those in power, that the book is uh, showing a, a light on them using you know the militia group as a way of you know kind of make uh, tarnishing his book as you know something crazy not to believe and all that but also another on the other hand i find a lot of people when something like this comes out a lot of people especially if what the book or what the the thing is about even loosely loosely based around or sounds like has anything that supports their belief a lot of times people don't even take the time to like fully read the book they're like oh i he believes that uh, the government is corrupt and that they're taking away our rights that is true but it they don't go and and go in deeper i mean they're like oh it, it's almost like you know when when you're in in school and you have to do a report yeah. Okay. And you decide to get cliff notes. Right. right. So you get cliff notes, you get the idea of what it's supposed to buy, and then you do a project on. I find a lot of people, they don't bother actually sitting down, reading, and actually analyzing what they read. A lot of people just skim through it and they're like, oh, this says something I believe in. They don't go in and read the rest of the paragraph to find out that. They're also denouncing what you believe in because that's also wrong, but showing how it's being used by you know the government or by someone else. Yeah, and and and, and I mean when you listen to people, you know, for example, when they decide to use like scripture from the Bible to you know, support something that they believe in or they are doing, saying, well, it's in the Bible, this this means that this is right. And it's like, well, yeah, in this paragraph, you go down one more paragraph, it's also showing the opposite. It's, I mean, it's, I mean, that's what drives me crazy is that when people just, they don't bother reading the entire thing. They only cherry pick what they want to use to bolster their claim. And that's where a lot of things like, you know, uh, this book probably gets a lot of its negative uh, backing from. People just cherry-picking what they like from the book and using it as a manifesto. There's also like a David Koresh thing to it, too, where there's speculation that David Koresh, you know, wasn't as bad as you know, one was, you know, made to believe, so to speak, which I speculate because he could have been everything that was said, but, you know, they said that he was having sex with the kids and stuff like that. But I've heard people say later in life that that was just kind of a propaganda thing. Because if you could paint somebody as a militia dude or a terrorist, and then you ha- then you kill that person, you're not exactly the bad guy at that point because you're killing the bad guy. So, like, there's that element that gets brought into it as well, which is yeah. dangerous. And I think that that's probably why he didn't like being lumped in with that because you can almost see the writing on the wall. Where they're set, when they're painting you up to be this bad guy, it's almost like you know that they're setting up the big head. You know what I mean? Like you got to fucking 
cool your britches or you're going to be laying in ditches. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, if, if you're if you're a guy that uh, has done the research and you're exposing this and you've seen what's been done. Yeah. And you've seen how at times how nasty it can get or, or what they do to protect themselves and they start attacking you. I mean, it takes very little intelligence for you to know that you're next. Because because of those attacks, as you know, that is a first step. Yeah. In the in the setup to take you down and shut you up. Yeah. Uh, with the mention of NASA, let's pop into some UFO stuff real quick. Uh, due to his father's service, he traveled around with the military most of his life. While in the Navy, uh, on transit from Portland to Seattle, he's seen a huge disc-shaped craft come out of the ocean and excel into the sky. Something he says was absolutely impossible with what he can, what we can do with our resources. The craft also returned uh, at great speed and entered back into the water at a speed that would destroy any other ship that did it. Um, after bringing it up to his commanders, uh, they debriefed him and the other men who seen it, and they told them that they didn't see anything. Uh, and severe consequences would happen uh, that if they happened to, you know, speak and say that they did see a little something, something. Um, this sparked off his investigating, uh, you know, knowing the truth is being suppressed, and um, that there's things going on that the government and so are keeping secret from the public. Uh, 1972, uh, headquarters of the commander in chief of the Pacific Fleet, uh, arranging information, um, they come in that he had that gig. So he was seeing a lot of weird shit that, you know, he's like a file clerk type deal for weird shit. So he was catching a lot of stuff. Um, among those among those documents was uh, info um, titled Operation Majority. Um, now, not the entire file file was there, but enough uh, of a synopsis of the operation and projects contained under it. One was called Project Red Light. The purpose was to back engineer captured extra, extraterrestrial technology for adaptation in the U.S. space program. He later believed ETs were not real, but... Um, technology uh like tr- like the trick like the, t- the technology was like he didn't believe an alien but he believed in alien technology which was interesting he kind of went back on that um but yeah that 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 you know that project red light it's one of those things that we talk about a lot um just in regular conversation when we talk about this weird shit with how like they're reverse you know they were trying to reverse engineer the things that they found, which, you know, it would make sense for him to do it. You know, what's your take on that whole deal of him saying that that's a real deal? Like what you guys take of that. If he was telling you right now, Hey, it's real deal. Holy feel that we, we got spacecraft that we found and we recreated for our own ships for, you know, most likely war and shit. I'm going to have to go two ways. One is it's twice in my life I've seen UFOs. Yeah. And there was no mistaking what they were. So if you're looking at a UFO scenario, I mean, what I saw and with the way, way my mind worked, I stood there afterwards analyzing everything I saw, the angle, estimating speed, size, everything. And I said, nope. I said, holy shit, that was a UFO. 
Yeah. I, in my mind, I was trying to disprove it. Right. But so is are they out there? Yes, I do believe it. I've seen them. The other thing is, as far as reversing technology, I can believe in that. But I'll take it like one step further. If you have uh, advanced civilizations, they're not going to leave, leave, and they can travel across galaxies or through dimensions. They're not going to accidentally leave a ship behind or something. There's a distinct possibility that, you know, they might be looking and saying, hey, I think they're ready for this. Let's uh, take this older model and uh, leave it near that base or something like that and see what they do with it. They could be testing us. They could be looking at us. They could be wondering, uh, okay, how are they evolving? Let's see how they work with this technology. Can they figure it out? It's time to, for them to take the next step. I'm more inclined to think that uh, aliens would be like that than to accidentally take this interstellar ship and say, oops, we ran out of gas. You know, <laughs> or, or, or hit a, we, or we hit a bird. We hit a bird that took us down. Like really? I like or that like, one. I like that one. That's very interesting take on it. Um, that they that they were placed here. I never really thought of it like that. That's kind of cool. I always assumed it was a that it was a crash landing or something like that. A mistake. Um, because if, if they're willing to sh- if they're willing to sh- show us a craft like that, why aren't they willing to? make like actual contact, like legitimate contact. You know what I mean? Because maybe we're, maybe we're not ready for it and they keep on giving us bits and pieces to see how we handle it. And the government keeps on hiding it because they think we're not ready for it. And they want that technology. They don't want people, people to know that. I mean, uh, all of a sudden the government in this planet does not become the center of the universe. Now there's proof that there's something bigger out there. So now we got to change change the way we think, and those in control don't want us thinking at all. Never mind changing how we think. That's true. So these aircrafts are kind of like uh, the UFOs are real, uh, like Vaseline, so to speak. <laughs> now, uh, I'm, now I'm, I'm 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 thinking I'm thinking about it more like you know you know when you have a child that they reach a certain age they get a certain toy they can handle. Yeah. I'm thinking it's it's more like that. We're the children, and they give us new toys to see how we handle it. Uh, you know, except they're not standing there saying, oh, don't put your hand on the stove. They're letting us see if we burn ourselves on that stove. Yeah, the U- the UFO element is so, the alien life is such a weird, endless discussion. You know, it's yeah the, the never ending journey. Um, but Alex, what's your take? Well, I mean, I definitely think Ray has a good point. Of course. Um, I mean, the thing is that um, I, I I had a, a friend that you know we we'd have long discussions on this. He he his belief uh, was the fact that um, aliens actually was living uh, among us, right? And Reptile. and that uh, the government was you know keeping it secret for the simple fact of its you know, uh, it's, I mean, it's like in the movie uh, Man in Black, where Tommy Lee Jones is talking to uh, Will Smith, and he's like, you know, a single person might be intelligent, but we all know that, you know, people are, are crazy, unpredictable, uh, mass, uh, filled with mass hysteria. I mean, the fact is that I wouldn't put it past the fact that, you know, 
that race is that they're they're testing us. I mean, I I would even take it a step further. I mean, the whole idea of evolution. I mean, the thing is that we could simply just be ex- an experiment. I mean, Neanderthals and all that. And if these alien races have been around uh, for God know how many millennia, I mean, for all we know, you know, maybe an alien ship came down, you know, back when the dinosaurs were roaming the Earth, and uh, it wasn't really an asteroid. Maybe it was a ship that came down and decided to eradicate the uh, dinosaurs and start playing um, with uh, the other mammals. You saying that maybe it wasn't a comet, it was a spaceship is the most interesting thing I think you've ever said in your life. <laughs> I like hey, that. I mean, I like mean, that. the thing is, if we want to open Pandora's box. Yeah, we do. That's the, uh, the point of the show, homie. I mean, the thing is that I personally have never seen a UFO. I can, I can say that I have not seen anything that, that I would uh, consider or even think might be a UFO. Yeah. So I do not have that experience like Ray has. Uh, but do I have the uh, belief that we are the only planet with intelligent life in the entire universe? I think that's bullshit. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that, and plus also I, I, the mentality that un- unfortunately everyone has seems to have on our planet is that, you know, oh, this is the only Earth, uh, only place with intelligent life. And to be perfectly honest, we're still trying to find intelligent life on this goddamn planet. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, that's why they, they turn all those telescopes away from here. They know intelligent life is in here so that they're looking out there now to try and find some. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, the thing is that, I mean, with Ray saying that, you know, they're, they're leaving things here for us and, and, and see what we do with it. I mean, I think really ties into with my idea that, I mean, for all we know that uh, the human race, our entire existence could be one big um, science fair project. Well, what's your take on what he's seen, Hawk? That giant saucer that came out of the ocean and then came back at ridiculous speeds and entered the water in a way that it wouldn't get destroyed. Well, I mean, there's there's two theories the way I look at it. Okay, yes. one we can take with, you know, um, uh, the way he's looking at it, that it is an alien spaceship, okay, that, you know, is either being, um, uh, you know, trying to be reversed engineered by our government or uh, uh, the aliens themselves are working with our government, and we can look at it that way. Or we can look at that maybe aliens have nothing to do with it. Maybe it's a um, technology that somehow the government has been working on and trying to get the the bugs out of it. That's what, yeah, that's what he later in life, um, that was who was claiming later in life. Like he originally popped off with alien life, UFO type situation. And by the end of it, he like the, the, the saucer that he's seen leave the ocean he didn't think it was alien. He thought it was like we made it, but it was yeah. like made from their materials. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is, it's it's. I mean, there's so many different possibilities, and and uh, unless we actually get like some factual 
proof of one way or the other among these things. I think anything is possible. I mean, but I mean, I would not put it past our government to, I mean, if, if, if an alien uh, spaceship decided to meet contact with our planet, yeah. If if they're really an intelligent species, okay, smart enough to do spaceships to go across the u- universe in you know decent time and all of that, uh, they're not going to come down and park in front of you know Joe Schmo's you know Dairy Queen, okay. They're going to, you know, come down here convertly and and meet those in charge. Meet like one of the uh, many uh, governments uh, on our planet, or maybe all of them. Maybe I'll show up at the UN. I mean, yeah. and then for you know those who have experienced, you know, seeing them, uh, you know, out in the real world, God only knows what their real purpose. Maybe they you know, uh, to kind of, um, I guess, keep the, the, the myth or the mythos around them. You know, they show up ever so often, give a little scare, kind of keep our minds wandering. Is this real? Is this not? But, uh, I mean, like I said, I mean, anything is possible. And when you got, when you have an alien race, you know, nothing about, and then you got, you know, the governments on our planet. Of course, if all of these things are actually happening, I wouldn't put it past, you know, a underhand dealing with, you know, this alien race and one or many of our governments and the uh, uh, the passing of technology and trying to re uh, reverse uh, their technology given to us. I mean, that's definitely possible. Uh, possible. Yeah, it's uh, the pale horse rider himself is either telling the truth or lunatic. You know what I mean? It's one of those beautiful things. Uh, We'll dive a little deeper in, you know. Uh, He then started the research um, to find find out the truth. His research concluded. This was an interesting thing that I that I that I found in, that since 1977, there's been a plan to create an artificial extraterrestrial threat um, in Earth to create a uh, one world order, uh, totalitarian socialist government. One of the first documents found in his search was an imperial Japanese mission in 1917. A record of uh, the reception of the United States headed by uh, Viscount Asiki. And when the imperial Japanese mission was in NYC, they had a dinner and some pretty famous folks spoke. One was John Dewey. John Dewey was the father of the fam- uh, the failing education system who said someone remarked the best way to unite all the nations on this globe would be an attack from some other planet. In the face of such an alien enemy, people would respond with a case of unity um, to uh, interest and purpose. The next document report from uh, Iron Mountain, the last attempt at peace would be unity through an unknown evil enemy. 
the poisoning of air and water supply is also mentioned um, for peace with that social disintegration. Cooper was vocal on the elite taking away guns to protect themselves. Movies, TVs, newspapers uh, are used as propaganda. We see that with the media and such. Yeah. Um, you know, Ronald Reagan made six speeches, and in all six, he mentioned uh, an alien threat. Um, Reagan, originally an actor, uh, very interesting, which is very interesting stuff. The only question I have is, where did the extraterrestrial technology come from? You know what I mean? That's the, you know, because I know he doesn't believe in, he believes in the technology, but doesn't quite believe that the alien, like an alien. So I just, my question is, I wonder where it would come from. You know what I mean? Through the tr- trickery was started in 1917, you know, probably even earlier. That, that doesn't surprise me. You know, corruption has been corruption since the beginning of time. It uh, brings in an element of fear, um, which fighting would be, you know, a war. Uh, it's like, you know, you fight a war with somebody you have to, you never see, you never realistically have to deal with. But it's, it's like the me, it's like a, you know, the media could keep that going forever. You know what I mean? Um, and as far as, you know, the TV, movies, radio, propaganda, you know, we all know that that's definitely like definitely the propaganda is within these things. You know what I mean? For shizzle. For shizzle, for sure. Um, so I want to go go back to some of that stuff real quick and, you know, ask your opinion of, you know, going back to 1977 here, 1917, 1977, 1917, when there was this claim that they, they, they realized that the only way to get everybody to kind of be under this new world order type situation would be an artificial extraterrestrial threat. What you got, what, both your thoughts on that. We'll start with Ray. Because Hawk was last time, and Hawk, you're you're bat, you're you're okay. batting up next. Well, when I was uh, back in the late fifties, I was reading a comic book, and they, the theme of it was there was a scientist on the Earth, yeah, who built a giant robot. Uh, this thing was like the size of the Empire State Building, which was the tallest building at that time, and it was able to go on the scene on the land. And what he did was he manipulated that robot to attack cities. And the robot said it was from another planet. And then the robot disappeared. And what happened afterwards is the world united waiting for these giant robots to come back and destroy them. Yeah. Now, now, right now, you have the movies uh, Pacific Rim. Same thing. But this time they come from inner Earth, the giant Keiju. And we build the robots to fight the Keiju. Yeah. And that, that's the theme that... Uh, has come up several times. There's uh, Godzilla Final Wars. The world is united to fight uh, monsters, and then aliens come down, and it's the monsters, and they manipulate the monsters, and they use Godzilla to kill off the monsters, and you get the hybrid people in there that have been bred to fight and save the Earth. So those themes have been in comic books. They've been in uh, or graphic novels, what they call them now. Uh, it's been in movies. Um, having a common enemy to unite people has been done through history over and over again. And the the biggest thing you do is you do two things. You demonize the people, if they're people. We did join uh, World War II with the Japanese, made them less than human the way we betrayed them. The same thing uh, with the the Germans in our propaganda films. You demonize them and you make sure that uh, 
people think that they're going to destroy the world in their life. Now, when I was growing up, um, I can remember, and in the in the fifties and in, in the early sixties during the Cold War, they would talk about how bad the communists were, and they were going to come in and they were going to blow up the Washington Monument and they were going to blow this up and that up and they're going to throw people in camps and we were, uh, you know, practicing hiding under our desks because they were going to nuke the cities. And yeah, it was, the idea was to get America lined up one way, thinking one way about this, about this common enemy to unite all the different people. And if you're talking about worldwide, yes, an alien threat would be a perfect piece of propaganda and a perfect way to get everybody together. And unfortunately, when you do that, um, in order for safety, people are willing to give up certain rights. And once you yeah. give up those rights, then uh, those people, they just play you and they control you. And yeah, that uh, and that leads to the whole New World Order thing that uh, the overmasters are going to be running everything. And we're going to be just a little puppets because uh, they've got us so scared. We'll do anything, anything for our safety. Yeah, that propaganda and, um, you know, common enemy thing even goes back to what we were talking about before when they're painting him out to be like a militia dude, a terrorist, cult leader, yeah. type deal, where you paint him, you know, you paint him as a bad guy and then nobody, nobody cares when you kill the bad guy. You know what I mean? Yep. Some really crazy shit, um, but it is, you know, the story is, is old as time. But, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't put it past – Definitely, I think it's the deal. And with the alien life, you you never have to you never have to show them. You can't prove it. Really, you can just say, "Well, we got this frequency, or we got we've seen this in space," and that can be. You don't have you don't need to show proof of anything. You know what I mean? What do you think, Hawk? Well, here's here's the funny thing. Okay, that make me laugh. Okay, I'll make I'll make you laugh. Uh, and like uh, like Ray was saying that, you know, that idea has been used a lot. I mean, the best one in, I would say, more recent uh, times, I mean, uh, like you said, Pacific Rim, but also uh, The Watchmen, which, I mean, the entire comic book uh, graphic novel itself is based around that entire idea. How do we unite unite uh, the, uh, uh, the world and the thing is unfortunately the only way to unite people is fear right? I mean, not goodwill not uh, caring about each other but fear fear of a force that can come down and wipe them all out that's the only time when people bond together is when they're like something tr- uh, tremendous happens and we have to bond together to protect ourselves. And and the thing is that before this idea, like we're talking about an alien threat, they used another um, uh, uh, thing that uh, no one could really 100% prove, and that would be uh, God. God's a perfect example. Be a good little child, you won't go to hell, you know? And God was used as as pretty much the Dr. Manhattan for many, many of millennia. The only thing is that now, because of our society, has gone to a point where we want proof. We need to have something tangible. I mean, <clears throat> if, if they were to do that now, 
I think what they're going to need is something like tangible, like an actual tangible alien uh, being coming down to destroy. I mean, it's it's right now we got you know all this stuff going on with the pandemic and and all that, and you still have people who, even though you have scientists and 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 people who have been studying this, telling you that there's this disease, there's this uh, COVID nineteen, the coronavirus that is you know, killing and there's proof of people, you know, getting sick and dying because of this, you still have people like, well, it's, it's a hoax. It's, it's all make-believe. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Because people are like, unless I see it right here in front of me, it's plain as the nose on your face, I'm not going to believe it. And that's the society we are. That's why, you know, uh, I think a lot of um, other uh, groups, uh, religious groups that have for a long time been, you know, kind of um, gliding on, on the coattails on, on the fear of like, you know, follow our rules or you're going to not see your family when you uh, you pass on because you won't be allowed to go into the pearly gates. I mean, there's the same kind of mentality of like that scary, unforeseeable force. You got to be nice. You got to play by the rules. I mean, the thing is, if you go on and 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 go into like the whole um, Bible and all of that, the fact is that the uh, uh, phrase that we all knew and grew up listening to—that the meek shall inherit the earth—originally, yeah. if you go back, it was the um, uh, like the scholars uh, or the knowledgeable will inherit the earth. That was the original concept, the original idea. That, you know, those who will inherit the earth are those who are smart enough to, you know, learn. And, and like uh, William Cooper says, you know, you know, research, go in and try to find the truth. But, of course, those in charge don't want a lot of knowledgeable people or people asking questions. They want people who are meek, who are like, oh, I'll just wake up and do my job and and I, I will not say anything bad to to my boss and I will just live my life as a meek little lamb to the slaughter. I mean, the fact is that I mean, all governments and all religions have, you know, used that kind of mentality to try to keep people in line, try to give someone something to fear because people don't People don't do their best, do do nice things for the most part. There's a few people who do, but the majority oh, of people, sucks. yeah, majority of the people won't do what is better for the mankind or better for the neighbor unless they have something that if they don't do it, they're going to be punished. Good, seg- good segue. Yeah, yeah. Good segue into the next subject real quick. Not to cut you off, Hawk. Um we're trying to keep this. Uh, this is Matt saying that I've been I've been rambling on too much. We're trying to keep this uh, to, uh, in 2020, in the year 2020. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, New World Order and the Illuminati stuff was a little next up. Cooper linked the Illuminati to most of his theories. He accused Dwight D. Eisenhower of negotiating a treaty with ETs in 1954 then establishing an inner circle of Illuminati to manage relations with them and keep their presence a secret from public. He believed Ooh. aliens. Yeah. He, he, believed, talk, 
You talking the Magic 12? The Majestic yeah. 12? Yeah, we're going there, baby. We're going, Majestic. We're going there. Um, uh, the establishing the inner circle of uh, manage relationships with them and their presence, uh, a secret from the public. He believed aliens manipulated and or ruled the human race through various secret societies, religions, magic, witchcraft, and the occult. And that even the Illuminati was being unknowingly manipulated by them. Cooper described the Illuminati as a secret international organization controlled by the Bilderberg Group that uh, conspired with the Knights of Columbus, Masons, Skulls and Bones, and other organizations. The overall goal is to establish a new world order. According to Cooper, the Illuminati conspirators not only uh, uh, inverted alien uh, threat for their own gain, but uh, they also conspire with alien life to take over um, the world. Cooper believed that James Forrestal's uh, fatal fall from a 16th story window at the Bethesda Hospital was connected to the alleged secret committee, Majestic 12, and that Jason uh, Advisory Group science, uh, scientists reported to an elite group of Trilateral Commission and Council on Foreign Relations Executive Committee members who were high-ranking members of the Illuminati. Now, real quick, just for uh, some facts for people wondering, you know, James Forrestal uh, was the last cabinet-level U.S. Secretary of the Navy's first U.S. and he was the first U.S. Secretary of Defense. And he, uh, I guess, supposedly committed suicide by jumping off of a building, but it's questionable whether it was suicide or if somebody helped him out. And Majestic 12, code name of an organization of a secret committee of socialists, military leaders, and government officials formed in 1947 by an executive order by President Harry S. Truman to facilitate and investigate an alien spacecraft. So, yeah, the fascism like that's, I definitely, you know, I, I would not be surprised if, if we were, if the government was secretly making contact and doing deals behind our backs, but the, the, the scary part of that is that means those alien life would probably have to be just as evil as our, our evil folks, uh, in the upper enchilon of, uh, governmental evilness doing shit like that. You know what I mean? And the, the scariest thought of the whole entire thing is knowing that there would be an alien life that would look at us the same way our leaders look at us, which is poker chips and fucking food. You know what I mean? It's terrible. Um, they probably look at us even less than that. Who? Our leaders or the alien life? The alien's life. They're probably looking at us as, you know, as we look at an ant. Alien life says those humans sure do give a good blowjob. Yeah. And that's it. That's all we're good for, I'm told. So what do you think about this whole Majestic 12 thing, Ray? I know that made you pop when you heard that. So let's hear your your inside stories here. Well, you got to realize I'm old enough to remember Ike. Yeah. I like Eisenhower. Eisenhower. So um, just vaguely a little bit because I was very young, but been through a whole bunch of that stuff. But um, if you're talking about the aliens being as nasty as us, you have to leave open the possibility if there's life out there, it's not all good and benevolent. Some of it can be just as bad as we are. 
And if, if they are, they could be manipulating uh, leaders. And as so long as we serve a purpose, whatever that purpose is, uh, whether it be to experiment on, whether it be to uh, play play with, observe, resources, whatever it may happen to be, um, yeah, then we're all right. Yeah. But they probably can, they would, if they're evil, would consider us, yeah, uh, like a pet and, uh, or a farm animal that, you know, when the uh, chicken is done laying the eggs, you kill the chicken. Well, when we're no longer useful for them, then uh, goodbye us, and maybe they just uh, get rid of humanity and start a different species on this planet and see how that runs out. But it would fit, fit perfectly because if you take the egos and the power-hungry people that uh, typically are drawn to power positions, and those people will embrace, naively, but they'll embrace these aliens because they'll think that they can work with them, and they'll think that uh, they'll benefit from it. But in fact, they're being played also because they're, they're just like the rest, rest of the cattle. There's, there's no, there's no different. They're, they're just the ones with the bells on that everybody else follows, but there's still the farmer who owns the herd and that's the aliens. Yeah. They're they're like a reptilian type thing. You know, I think the reptilian deal is kind of, uh, it's alien like, it's almost like, you know, if you go way back to the dinosaur eras, where, you know, we supposedly were cavemen or gorillas that fucking evolved in, evolved in the humans. It's almost like these dinosaurs that were reptilian evolved, which, they, you know, they speculate they're more birds than reptiles, but that they evolved from, you know, a dinosaur into fucking like King Koopa in fucking the <laughs> Mario Brothers movie. Um, but like like a weird crossbreed of human reptile type deal but they've been around forever that's the whole reptilian thing super mario is being like uh, part of a history lesson i know maybe they're they're uh what they're doing is they're playing with dna they played with the dinosaurs the reptile and reptiles and they took the best dna from there and now that now they're playing with human dna and at some point they'll start matching that up and they're just kind of using this DNA to bolster themselves. They're they're the ultimate hybrid, whatever wherever they come from. Throw in a little bit of dinosaur, a little bit of human, a little bit of extraterrestrial, and you got these super beings, and they just laugh at us behind our backs. Yeah, reptilians very demon like. You know what I mean? It has that element. Um, it's almost it has that that demon angel element too thing about uh, where they kind of get that weird gripe with humanity because they were giving everything you know what i mean where you can definitely look you can say well look where humanity's gotten to but then you look at the reptilian world they're still in the woods living they're animals you know what i mean so they didn't quite as evolve you know at least in 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 what we see in culture they didn't evolve to like what humanity did but there could be something out and without going too deep into it, I'm just curious of, uh, do you both, uh, both of you, do you think that a reptilian deal or like, you know, communication with alien life behind the scenes is an actual reality? I spoke last time. So guess who's up. All right. Um, well, the thing is, 
quick though, Hawk. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I think I pretty much, you know, point the way I uh, put my viewpoint on it, which is yeah. if if there are aliens and if there are, you know, in contact and have been visiting us, then you know, I would, I would be surprised beyond belief if they did not have a deal with our different governments or. You know, I know. Kind of- so, unfortunately, they'd probably have to go to the government or like a, a superpower of all the government folks. It, yeah. You know, but I almost feel like an alien life could almost just per- go past them and just kind of make contact with everybody at once. Um, well, I mean, it's one of those things, you know, like at one of the great summit meetings, you know, they they come in and they, you know, sit everyone from all all the uh, different um, countries and, and they'll, and and say, Hey, you know, this is the deal. You know, we help you keep your power. We'll, you know, and you allow us to, you know, uh, you know, do experiments, you know, grab some poor old redneck and uh, pick up truck as he's going to the hoedown for anal probes. And, uh, you know, because we like anal probes. I heard that about you. I heard you were all about that. I mean, mean, the thing is that, I mean, if there is uh, life out there and it has been visiting our planet, I mean, I have a hard, especially nowadays when you got, everyone has a cell phone on them. Everyone has video. I mean. They do catch stuff though. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, the thing Um, is, but the thing is you never get any conclusive proof. When you I mean, said no, cell phone, and you said cell phone, it's a great segue for me to go into the next subject. Uh-oh, okay. <clears throat> okay, so next subject. We're, 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 put, we're going heavy on the time here. That's why I bring it up. Um, my favorite, probably, theory that he has, um, which is the Kennedy assassination theory. Mm. You know, One of my all-time faves. Uh, Cooper wrote in his book, Behold the Pale Horse, he thought JFK was assassinated because he was about to reveal that extraterrestrials were in the process of taking over the Earth. According to top secret video of the assassination, the presidential limousine's driver, William Greer, used a, uh, uh, used a gas device, uh, presumed device developed by aliens uh, from a trilateral commission to shoot the president from the driver's seat. The Zapruder film shows Greer twice turning to look into the back seat of the car. Cooper theorized that Greer first turns to assess Kennedy's status after the, after the external attack uh, and then wants to fire the fatal shot. Conspiracies toward Greer reportedly snowballed after publication of a Behold the Pale Horse. Cooper's video of the incident was analyzed on several shows, was criticized, but uh, looked pretty legit to me you know what i mean i checked it out i don't know if you guys got a chance to um chance to see this video and uh, i just wanted to say you know fun fun fact for anybody out there the term conspiracy theory was created after the jfk assassination you know it was a name for they were giving people a bad name for questioning things it goes back to that whole deal of you know giving people shade you know, if you were questioning it, they said, ah, he's a conspiracy theorist. It was a way to kind of cut you down before anybody could hear what you were saying. Um, now, I've seen this video. 
And, you know, real quick, I'll say something about the aliens. You know, JFK was upsetting a lot of people. So, like, where that hit came from, who God knows. I assume it was probably multiple folks um, that were involved with it. Kind of like a mafia deal where all the head of the family have to just give the okay and then it goes down. I think it was something like that. Um, But the alien aspect to it's really weird. And I have heard also in a Marilyn Monroe conspiracy theory that the reason why she was killed was over an alien thing where she's seen alien life stuff with JFK behind the scenes and she was going to blabber to uh, the press or whatever. So they had to take her out the game. I've heard that, but I don't know that whole deal. I, you know, Marilyn was running around with, you know, politicians and mafia people and athletes. And, you know, I think she just got caught up in a bad game and somebody caught failings and, then she caught death and that's kind of probably what happened. I feel, um, but the JFK things, you know, big. And I seen this video. I don't know if you guys got a chance to see it, but the video is very convincing and it does look like Greer turns around, pulls out a gun. You see something silver pop up and then Kennedy's head. Boop. And then you see the dude pull the gun back into his side. And I know it sounds incredibly far fetched, um, and the reason why it's not really talked about is because usually when you see the Kennedy assassinate, there's a brood of film is usually cropped. What you, what we'll see wherever, like on the news or whatever, and then they crop it, they push in on it so you can get a better shot of it, of, of what's going on in the car when the actual hit goes down. But if you were to uncrop it, you, that's the footage that Cooper had. And in that footage, uh, anybody interested could find on YouTube this footage. And you literally, it looks, dude, it looks, it's the most, out of all his theories, next to the 9-11 one, it's one of the most, I think the most right there, black and white, because it looks like, the, you know, it looks like Greer blasted him in the face, and that's that. And, like, it's weird. It's a weird thing, and that whole situation's super weird. What was you guys' take? Ray, you were around when fucking JFK... Oh yeah, pass away. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I think there was more than one group that wanted to get rid of him. Yeah, I do. I do not think it was Oswald. I was uh, scouring the net one time, and I found a video where a bunch of uh, skeptics—they were ex-military—and uh, they were currently they they worked at like a gun range, and these people had been snipers and different things and they set up a tower at some quite expense this thing was like way up they laid out a track they had a remote controlled car they got a hold of the same model rifle and the same type of am- ammo and they tried to restage it now these were experts and no one could make the shot that oswald was supposed to make yeah. And these they, they were trained experts, not not with that rifle and not with that ammo. And even if they shortened the distance a little or they tried all sorts of things, there was no way someone in that time frame could make those shots and that accurate. And these are people that, you know, during their life, they spent most of their life training. And some of them had been in combat and their purpose was to do that yeah. at Im- impossible odds. So did there have to be something else? Yes. Was it a conspiracy? Yes. Who was behind it? I'm not sure. I'll leave that door open. 
Yeah, I definitely think Oswald's a patsy. I think that there are more people involved, and he was just like a, a dummy character that was willing to take the take the blame. You know what I mean? Like I thought that I think that he thought he was gonna, you know, he was just gonna be the face of it. He was gonna go down in history as this dude that killed the president. He had, you know, he had his political reasons for wanting to do it, so he was kind of a hero. And I think he thought he was gonna sit in jail. Um, for the rest of his days and kind of be famous. I don't, but the the plan where Ru, where Jack Ruby shows up and pops him, I don't think he got that page in the script. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I think that was like, you know, the, the the director wrote, the writer wrote that the night before type deal. Whoa, hold on, hold on. Where, where does it say that I get popped? I, I want to rewrite of the script. That's the deal because they're. They, I'm the most shocked looking person in that in that footage is Oswald <laughs> when when he was like, wait a second. <laughs> and uh so like I think that's the deal with that. And I do think ever since seeing that footage, I do feel that that dude driving pop gave him the fin the finishing blow. And I think they probably could have killed him immediately. And I think that the fact that it took a couple shots was more of a point than a mistake. You know what I mean? I think they wanted him to know. They didn't want it to be quick where it just went black. They wanted him to know that he was dying for whatever reason. He he And he knew. Like, he knew why he was dying. You know what I mean? From the shit that behind the scenes stuff. But they wanted, they wanted him to have that time, those moments to get the first hit and realize, okay, like, I'm going down. And then know why, know exactly why he's going down before the big headshot. So I think that's the deal with that. But the... Yeah, that footage, dude. Like him, him unsurfacing that footage was a big deal. I felt. You guys got to. If you didn't see that footage, you got. I'm very curious. Next time, I want. I want you to check it out. Next time, I want your opinion because, I I find that footage incredibly believable. You know what I mean? Um, you know, we'll have to do a, a gigantic episode on the Kennedy thing in itself. I mean, it's one of the biggest conspiracies of all yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. But also, I have to say is that I I strongly believe yeah. that the uh, Kennedy assassination was the turning point in the U.S. where those who are you know when when uh, normal people start to actually question the government, yeah, because I mean. The thing is that, uh, just to, uh, to gloss over, but the the fact is that when uh, Kennedy was assassinated, uh, they, you know, uh, blackened the area and, and asked people to come up and tell them what they saw, what did they, you know, hear. And, of course, everyone being very patriotic, you know, citizens, you know, came up. and And when anyone... Anyone who actually came up and and pointed to the grassy knoll as where the shot came from, they all died, except one within three months. Okay. So yeah, it's so shady the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, and and you want to know why the one person who came forward was not killed? He came forward because the I thing know. was that. Uh, I forget the guy's name, but the fact was before uh, before the uh, assassination, he was at boot camp. Okay, he was down there, and he said that they were training where you know uh, where they 
fired uh, um, ammo above their heads as they crawled through the, the muck and the mire. Yeah. So when that shit happened, he could tell that the shot came from behind him on the grassy knoll because he had just gone through that in basic training. Yeah. Now, the thing is that he was shipped out the day after the assassination. Okay, so he was he. So after he he made his his you know um uh, thing. Uh, so when he came back, I forgot how many how how long until you know he came back and people found him and they actually sat down and interviewed him about that, and they told him that he's the only one that was still alive. You should have seen his face go completely pale. Yeah. And the and and the thing is that, and the the uh, the JFK assassination, uh, in in my opinion, and I think in it was the first time where the majority of the U.S. population started not to uh, believe everything the government said. That was the really turning point, I would say, of like the conspiracy theorists and all that really started to come up and, you know, and, and get a foothold because even the regular people, you know, knew something shady was going on. Right. I mean, it, it was so obvious. It's true. You know, um, you know, the, the, the last kind of conspiracy that he revealed that we'll, that we'll, we'll talk about tonight is uh, the 9-11 prediction, which I thought this was downright eerie when I first read about this. Um, and I feel like this right here is the icing on the cake that probably got him, you know, his, his, his return flight back to heaven. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, on uh, 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 628-01, you know what I mean? Right before... Approaching 9-11. On his radio show, he predicted that there was going to be a terrorist attack and that Osama bin Laden will be blamed for it, Uh, but that that he is not the culprit. He was being built up as a boogeyman from years leading up to the attack. Uh, He considered it to be more unfolding of the NWO and uh, progress of fear and behind-the-scenes takeover. The Illuminati agenda, Luciferian, totalitarian, totalitarian um, deal. So, like, yeah, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty kind of crazy that he pre- predicted that there would be a terrorist attack, first of all. Um, which, uh, Ray, Ray, do you remember, at that time, was tensions building? Like, was, 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 were we, I almost feel like we were, we were kind of, as a country, we're of, of just, for every like, it was it was definitely a time before now of where everything's more scared. It's everything like they, like we're not. I don't want to say we're off the tracks, out of control, but it was all like carefree. You know, there wasn't PC culture wasn't crazy. You know, politics wasn't the main focus of everything. Um, you know. Things weren't you. We you know there wasn't school shootings every day. There was you know there wasn't you know big mass murder sprees all the time. You would get them, but it's more of a common thing now. I think you, you hear more about these things now. Um, but yeah, what do you think? Like, 
Let's, let's well, with that, with that ushered in, um, that gave us our common enemy, someone that we could uh, turn into the devil and we could all hate and be afraid of. And that led to the Patriot Act, and we gave up a bunch of freedoms and eavesdropping and on everything. And so, yeah, it was kind of like time to, okay, let's uh, let's turn the apple cart over a little bit. Let's get, shake it up. Let's scare these people again. Let's get them back in line so that everybody's on the page we want. Let's take a couple of freedoms away. Give them a common enemy. Let, let's reset the stage. They're all getting too comfortable. So, you know, let's let's take it to the next step here. And really, when you're dealing with uh, people at that level, the, they really don't care how many people die. They really don't. It's crazy. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's dark. It's some really dark stuff. And, yeah, it's a gender, you know, like big poker chips. It's a poker chip ordeal, you know. And I remember having a conversation with somebody when COVID broke out and they were like, you know, talking about, you know, you know, athletics shut down and all that. And, you know, no, it couldn't be, there's no, they like the fact that they couldn't wrap their head that the possibility of maybe something being up was a reality where like they could, they, they couldn't like, because basketball was down, made it official. But it's like, you know, the people that, the people that really, that run the deal, like the money that bas- NBA is losing right now, which realistically, <clears throat> I think that they, they kind of pulled the plug to save money because they were putting on a big production with nobody showing up because of the fear. So it's like one of those things, but but it's like, I think the people at the top, the, even the money that the NBA lost, that amount of money to us is an ungodly amount of money, but the people pulling the strings, it's not that much money. It's not even, It's not even a year's worth of money. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, to us it looks like, and I think it was just... You know, there's different, you know, positions that have to be played. And, yeah, it sucks that people lost the money in their eyes. But it's like when it's time, when it comes time for you to play your part, you kind of have to play your part. Like in that element of it and that way of thinking um, and that big corporate evil tie-in type thing. So I just wasn't sold. Everybody was sold. When they said that when the NBA went down, everybody was sold that it was like – that was the deal and that it, it couldn't be fit. Like it's not a fake deal. It's a weird, the whole COVID thing is a topic in its own because you can't call it fake and it's not fake. And you can't say, I don't think that it's as crazy as it's said to be, but it's definitely not fake. It's somewhere in the middle. Um, but like, you know, you, you can't talk to certain people about things like that. But we're, we're off track a little bit. So let's get back into something that isn't fake, and it's the unfortunate death of William Cooper. Um, as Cooper, you know, moved away from ufology, you know, because he start, started to say it was more of a, a materials than an alien thing, and he moved more towards this militia, anti-government type, subculture thing. In the late 1990s, he became convinced that he was being personally targeted by President Bill Clinton, our pal, um, and the Internal Revenue Service. They want their cut always. Uh, in July 1998, he was charged with tax evasion. An arrest warrant was issued, but he eluded uh, repeated attempts to serve it. In 2000, he was named a major fugitive by the U.S. Marshals Service. 
Uh, on November 5th, 2001, Apache County Sheriff deputies in a civilian clothing tried to lure him out of his house, pretending to be local teenagers partying at the end of his street. He had a little cul-de-sac type circle. Um, and the whole deal was like, there was teenagers that would go to this cul-de-sac circle, rip shit up, party, be a ruckus, and the people in the area hated it. So he was kind of going to go there and break up the party because he thought it was teenagers. That was the whole deal. Um, they wanted to arrest him uh, on charges of uh, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon and endangerment stemming from uh, dis- uh, disputes with local residents. Uh, at which, you know, who that speculation right there could be anything, could be a, a disagreement, uh, you know, actual, you know, f- situation. Uh, after an exchange of gunfire, of which Cooper shot one of the deputies in the head, non fatal, but he did shoot the deputy in the head. And as soon as, you know, at that point, you, you know, you're dead. You, you, you open fire on police. You're go, like, you're, 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 I don't know. I consider that dead. So like, you don't really come back from that situation. Certain people do. Um, but you know, I feel like that's just saying, kill me. Uh, he was chased back to his home and he was fatally shot in his front yard. Now his body was left on the lawn for 15 hours, which is very weird. That's an obscure, but it was, it was left so he could, so it die. Like what they say is, you know, like, you know, he could have, he could have survived his wounds if the paramedics were called um, in time. You know what I mean? Like the dude that got shot in the head, he fucking survived. They carry, they brought him off. But um, yeah, it's one of those deals. So they got the, They tried to trick him into arrest. Um, I don't know what Arizona's like carry law is, you know what I mean? I, I assume shooting at police is not not on that law. That's not a good deal. But oh, I don't come know. On, they're in how, season, right? <laughs> now Tex Texas I think has that law where you can carry your gun and if you feel like your life's being threatened, you can kill. You know what I mean? So like in that sense of it, and they were wearing civilian clothes. So like how he how was he supposed to know what was going down? Is how I look at it a little bit. Um, turns into an altercation. Um, there's a shoot. He, go, he ret- retreats to his house. They chase him down. I believe there was an officer um, like in a bush near his house. So when he hopped out of his car and ran around the car to go into the house, um, like the cop stepped out of the bush and like popped him in the front yard. And they didn't want him getting back into the house because he was known to have, you know, guns and such. And they didn't want another Waco type deal on their hands. You know what I mean? Where people are held up on the news shooting it out with the cops is never a good look. You know what I mean? But um, the 15 hour thing is kind of frustrating and upsetting to hear because like they really did kind of pop him and wait for him to die. You know what I mean? In any other circumstance, I'd say, even on a bad day, you're going to have an ambulance there within an hour. This is like a small town. I, if I, I watched some footage of like um, the area where it happened and stuff, and it was very small towny um, where maybe there wasn't a hospital for a while or I don't know, but I don't think if they're, if they're close as hospitals 15 hours away, they really got to think about building a fucking hospital. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
knock down a mall or a fucking knock down a planet fitness and put a little hospital area in there or something. Um, take a CVS. Uh, we know how we, how beloved we are to the CVS corporation. Take a CVS, hollow them out and put in a, a, a big old, big old clinic, big old free clinic up in that thing. But yeah, sad stuff, man. You know, it, it was all, it's all trying to, you know, you're only, you only say certain things, you know, you gotta be careful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you say the wrong thing. Uh, you upset people, people take what you say and take it out of the context. I mean, the thing is that, I mean, uh, you have people constantly, you know, going against and, and fighting against, you know, freedom of speech, which I think is one of our most important things that we as a society have. Yeah. And the, and the fact is that, now, you can argue whether this was a a government-sanctioned um, uh, covert operation, or we can go and just say that it was simply just, you know, small town, just themselves. I mean, the end result is, however you look at it, whoever's in charge, they shot him and they wanted him to die. Whether it's a government conspiracy behind what he said, and they were pulling the strings for this to happen, or whether it was just a series of, uh, misadventures that led to this. The the fact was that you know, and 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 the fact was that they you know trying to draw him out by you know pretending to be rowdy teenagers at the end. I mean that itself is kind of, I would say, pretty ass shady. With yeah. with I mean the thing is that. Everything that's going on. So something else is going on behind the scenes. And he had I, beef. He had. There was no beef between him and the locals. Like yeah. they were trying to serve him, and they he wouldn't like. He he, he would get out of it. I mean, there there was times when I was reading where he would, where police would come on, come into his yard. He'd be barbecuing, and pe- police would come and he'd tell the police to get out of his yard. You know, shit like that. Like leave. Like get off my property type stuff. So like, and you know, cops don't like to hear that because they got yeah. that badge and they want to be, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is whether it's um, whether you want to go and delve into it that it's a uh, bigger conspiracy behind uh, behind his uh, fatal uh, fatal shooting, or whether you know it's just like uh, like uh, it's. Looks like, you know, he had an issue with the local law enforcement. They had an issue with him. And they decided to try to, you know, show him who's boss. And end result, a deputy got shot but ended up surviving. And to teach him a lesson, they shot him and let him bleed out for 15 hours. Well, they get afraid. I think they when, when, when people make noise like this and get people that listen to them and, like, stand behind them and – Share them on and all that. <clears throat> I think they they get afraid, especially in a small town thing where they might have thought that maybe he was going to move in a community of folks. Maybe that was going to be their, their Jonestown, if you will. You know what I mean? Their Waco. Um, and they don't want a small town. Cops don't want to deal with that. You know, maybe there's some cowboys running around and they got that chip on their shoulder where they're like, "This is our fucking town." You know what I mean? Like. I don't know who you think you are, you know, 
what I mean? And like, yeah, you want to see. But I mean, the thing is that that mentality is in the small towns and then the big cities. I mean, you're always going to have, there's yeah. a like, this is my town, you know. Well, my a- great grandfather was was the one that, you know, settled here and, and, and all that. It's. Well, yeah. It's a universal problem with positions of power. You know? Yeah, and as like I said before, I mean, when you have people in power, uh, even if they go in with, you know, hoping <laughs> to do some good, the end result is they end up being corrupted. I mean, the power is a dangerous aphrodisiac. Power corrupts, kid. Oh, yeah, power corrupts, absolutely. You know, it's very possible that, you know, in the same sentence as breath of that is... Mr. Cooper himself could have might have been getting a little corruption going on, you know. He was he could have had a little bit, little ego going, you know what I mean? You, you, when 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 people yeah. look up I, to I, I mean I mean the thing um, is when when you have power, whether it's the power of <laughs> government, whether it's power of religion, whether it's the power of like, you know, uh you can say with William Cooper, the power of people's minds, you know, people listening to him and actually listening to what he's saying that might be going on. I mean, and especially when you have people with power that come in in uh, a a conflicted uh, a standoff with another group of people in power, shit's going to happen. The ones who end up standing at the end usually are the ones who, you know, uh, have have the most power, <laughs> the most power at the moment, whether it's you know guns or whatever. Power is a crazy thing. You know, Alex Hawk has all the power, and then Ray has the rest, and then I I have No, the... no, no, no. Matt has the power. The oh, yeah. power of the fish. So, yeah, well, I mean, what a life. You know what I mean? Uh, it's unfortunate that he went out hard like that. You know what I mean? He went out hard. Went out hard, kid. But sometimes you got to go out hard to spill the truth and – like I said in the beginning, you know, I, you know, we're able to openly talk about things like this because folks like William Cooper lost their lives to kind of pave the way, you know what I mean? So we got to show respect to that. So mucho respect, much respect and rest in peace to William Cooper, um, our first inductee into our Hall of Secrecy. Yeah, you guys got any uh, closing statements on William Cooper? Yeah, he was the godfather of conspiracy. I would say do not dismiss him or what he said. Research it. Look into it. There's always more than what you see on the surface. You see it in personal relationships with people when you learn about them and they're a lot deeper or other things about them. Yeah. And it goes the same thing. Whenever you get up to any large institution like a government, uh, it's self-perpetuating. Those in charge start to feel omnipotent and they are manipulative and yeah don't trust keep an eye out and watch your six yeah, there's a lot of gateway conspiracy and truther folks in this in this deal um and he's one of the kings you know definitely check out the book check out his show you can still get a show on uh on youtube so you know definitely dive in and do some research and that's the whole deal. It's a surface thing, you know. You 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 you, you stumble into these people. You get a little from the message. Maybe you don't agree with everything they say, but the things you do agree with, you're uh, you go to the next level of uh, 
knowledge on it. That's what it's all about. Huck, what's your opinions on Mr. Cooper, hanging with Mr. Cooper? Well, I mean, as I said pretty much before, I mean, I don't, uh, I mean, I'm not 100% sold on everything he said, but I mean, the thing is that his entire philosophy of don't don't believe everything you hear, research and, and delve into, I'm totally behind. And I think that's the biggest problem with a lot of either uh, conspiracy theorists now and, and those who follow them is that they want to take the uh, easy, lazy route. And if someone's spouting something that they either agree with or they want to believe in because it either gives them a sense of power or a sense of, oh, I know what's going on. Um, but the truth is, uh, we don't know everything going on. I mean, everything we spouted here, I mean, could be true and it could not be true. And the fact is, it's up to you who are listening and, and everyone to, if you guys either believe in what we're saying or do not believe in what we're saying, go research, go into and try to figure out what's really going on. Because I mean, it, I mean, there's layers of chess being played uh, with the government, with with everybody involved. That you know, we can spend you know a millennia trying to figure out all the twists and turns, and we'll never find them all. Yeah, I mean, the fact is, there's a lot going out in the real world that we will never truly understand or truly find out what's really going on. Uh, but the fact is. If you can't figure out what everything's going on, at least try to look into things. If someone says something, look into it. Don't take it at face value. That's the only thing I say. Because there's so many people with so many different agendas going on. And especially in the internet and all that, you'll get like 20 uh, websites saying one thing, you got 20 websites saying the complete opposite and each one of those uh, websites and, and, and say, oh, we have the truth. We know what's going on. And the fact is, if you dissect the uh, dissect throughout all of them, you'll probably find out truth in, in each one of them, but not all of them. And the fact is that you have to weed out what is truth and what is uh, false. Amen, brother. Amen. So with that being said, you know, rest in peace and thanks for your contribution to the truth movement, Mr. William Cooper, Mr. Milton William Cooper, you know, and uh, we hope everybody enjoyed the show. You know, it was a lot of fun researching and getting down with it. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you all on our next episode of Behold. A pale podcast. I will talk about later. Before we get started, I have to clear up a little, little discrepancy here. Apparently, the other night, or within the last week, because I've been getting a lot of email about this, and I even received one telephone call. Apparently, somebody called the Alex Jones broadcast. And ask them, ask him why he didn't have me on the air, or ask him something about me. <coughs> Alex Jones said he had had me on the air once before, several years ago, 
and had to cut me off the air because of the foul language that I used. So on the air tonight, I'm going to tell you, Alex Jones, you are a bold-faced, miserable, stinking, little coward liar. Now let me say that again so there's no mistake about it. You can all tell Alex Jones that I said this, and I suspect he's listening because he does. Alex Jones, you are a bold-faced, stinking, rotten, little coward liar. I was only on the Alex Jones show one time. It was years ago when I didn't know who he was, when I didn't uh, realize what a liar and a coward and a sensationalist bullshit artist that he is. He was on one little FM station down in Texas. He wasn't on all the stuff that he's on now. And I agreed to be on his broadcast. That's when I was doing guest appearances on broadcast years ago. I was not cut off. I did not use any kind of foul language whatsoever. He treated me very well. And I stayed on for the whole show. Some of you in Texas know that that's true because you heard the broadcast and you taped it. Later when I found out who Alex Jones was and what he was doing to the truth and how what a cowardly liar and sensationalist he really is. Every time he called me after that, I have always refused to appear on his broadcast. Absolutely refused to lend him any credibility whatsoever by appearing on his broadcast. And that made him very angry. I've also revealed him for the lying sensationalist bullshit artist that he is by every once in a while bringing to your attention the lies and the deceit and the rumors that he spreads over the airwaves that are not good for any of us, and they're not good for the nation. They are especially not good for militia and patriots. The most disgusting broadcast he ever did was on uh, New Year's Eve, the year... 2000, the New Year's Eve, 1999, bringing in the year 2000, in which he went completely out of his mind and claimed that Russia had launched intercontinental ballistic missiles with multiple warheads at the United States of America and actually panicked millions of people who were putting their children and their belongings in their cars and heading for the hills. Now, there's lots of things that can be said about me. Nobody needs to lie about me. Sometimes I am irritating. Sometimes I absolutely will not suffer fools and am just as rude as I can be. Nobody has to lie about me, Alex Jones. So I suggest that the next time somebody calls your broadcast and asks them about me, you tell the truth. There's lots of truth that you can tell about me. But don't ever lie on me, buddy because I'll chop you off at your ankles. I will chew you up. I will spit you out for the lying, stinking, rotten little coward that you are. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is all I have to say about Mr. Sensationalist, lying, rumor-mongering, bullshit artist Alex Jones.